Well, I want to thank you folks for showing up for your counseling session today. You know, it is scheduled every Sunday at this time, and I appreciate you, you know, showing up. Sometimes the counselor, you know, they've, they've prepared the session to, to talk to you, and then sometimes they don't show up. And I'm glad you showed up today. This is good, because we're going to have a good counseling session today. And, uh, and I'm going to try and get through the material in the time allowed it. Uh, so far, I have not done that well. But we're going to try and do it for the service today. And uh, as I joked about in the 8 o'clock service, the first 30, 35 minutes or so is free. After that, I'll have to charge you. So, so if, you'll, if you'll listen quick, I'll try to speak quick. Is that, is that, that fair enough for you? Um, counseling from the pulpit is really what preaching is all about. It's we, we, we open the Word of God and we... we uh, Share with you what the Word of God says so that you might be helped, you might be changed, as Brian so wonderfully prayed just a minute ago. And, and so that it, it's our hope that by spending time the Word of God together on, on Sunday mornings, that you will be uh, equipped to better handle life's challenges throughout the week. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to approach this a little bit of it because, frankly, folks, we need to talk. Yeah, we do. Because I know you've showed up for this counseling session because you know, finally, you're admitting by being here that you have sin in your life. Did you know that when you come to church, you admit that? This is a hospital, right? For people who are spiritually struggling that they might come and be helped. If somebody ever says to you, I don't go to church because it's filled with hypocrites. Well, come on, one more won't make a difference. We're all sinful. We all struggle. We all need help. And so let's take a look at James chapter 4 today. But he's talking about peace. And in the context of these verses in chapter 4, the, he finishes chapter 3 by saying, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness. Boy, God, give us that. But it is sown, it is planted in peace by peaceful means by those who are wanting to make peace. Now, he's going to lead right into conflict in the first five verses of the next chapter. But he prefaces that discussion on conflict by saying, we need to be peacemakers. If we want to see righteousness in our life, we need to sow that righteousness in peace and be peaceful people. And so that's what we're going to talk about. You'll notice on the screen there that the Nobel Prize uh, is defined by those who have done the most of the best work or the best work for fraternity between nations, for the abolition or reduction of standing armies, and for the holding and promotion of peace congresses. Well, with that definition, I'm certainly going to nominate James for a Nobel Peace Prize because he not only has, uh, in, these, in this book, uh, done the best work for fraternity between nations, because you read in the very first beginning of the letter that he was written to the 12 tribes that are dispersed. But he's certainly done his best work for the fraternity between brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Now, we've had three presidents who have won the Nobel Peace Prize. It began, the Nobel Prize began in the early 1900s, and so we couldn't go back beyond that. But Tony, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was the first president of the United States to win the Nobel Peace Prize. There's two other ones. 
Anybody guess? Jimmy Carter. Yeah, Jimmy Carter won the Nobel Peace Prize. And the last one was not that long ago, and it was Barack Obama, who won the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, there is an individual, uh, to me, that is, that is more, uh, I, I, I associate with more in, in what he did to accomplish peace than, than maybe uh, some of the others that we mentioned, and that is Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. And I don't know of anyone in the United States that deserved any more than, than that man did. We appreciated so much his voice of wanting to remove conflict and replace it with love, the love of God. And how we appreciated his voice so much back then when he was speaking and I was in my teens and 20s, how we still need a voice like that crying out today. Of course, we still struggle with conflict within one another, and we need to be seeking peace. And that's what we're going to do. So um, in our counseling session today, it's going to be uh, videotaped. So I just wanted to warn you before that, you know, you talk to somebody on the phone when you call for service, and they said, no, this, this phone call is going to be recorded for, for training purposes. Well, <laughs> we always record all of our, our services, so that's not that big a deal, but we're going to move along. And if there's something that you missed or you wanted to get back again, you can go back and check, as always, all of our sermons on our webpage uh, later on in the week. And you can even go back way beyond the James series and, 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 and go back and, and pick up a lot of the, the sermons. And it'd be useful to do that and helpful to you, I'm sure, if you would. So, counselees, let's open our Bibles to uh, the book of James in chapter 4, and let's talk about this sin that we struggle with when we're having conflicts. And the first one is this uncontrolled passions within us. Notice verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? As you and I live our lives for Christ, we will have increasing uh, troubles with the pagan world in which we live in. And that's to be expected. But that's not what James is talking about here, this matter of, of a, a national defense mechanism for the church to live for Christ against the pagan world that is out there. But what he's really talking about something that, that that we, uh, if history of the United States, we're familiar with, and that's more of an attitude of civil war. This is more fighting within your homes. This is more fighting within your church. This is more fighting among your friends than it is the pagan world that is out there um, before us. And this reminds us of what James says in chapter one. Let me read you a couple of verses from chapter one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, just like he said, the passions within you. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, counselees, in our counseling session today, first of all, I need you to admit that quarrels and conflicts that you face in your life have their source mostly in the passions that are within you. Now, somebody may, maybe you didn't start it. Maybe somebody came to you and said something or did something to you, but you know as well as I do, in your reaction to what that happened, 
to happen. The passions start welling up inside you and you start thinking about how you're going to respond or you're going to think about, uh, I'm going to get this person back somehow because of what they've done for me. Or man, I'm going to, I'm going to, I can't wait till I tell somebody else what, what they did or what they've done. And yes, those passions welled up within you. And it all, all of that resulted in quarrels and fightings among you. Now, you know, as well as I do, that if somebody said something wrong to you or did something wrong to you, if you would not let that root of bitterness grow up inside you, but you would handle that passion that within you in a more, in a better way, in a more correct way, which we're going to be seeing in the last half of this message, we could probably stop most of the quarrels and fightings that we end up being a part of. If we would, first of all, admit the fact that a lot of the quarrels and fightings comes because of the passions that rise up within us. Uh, there are some issues that James mentions in this chapter or in this letter to us. And uh, this chapter, we're going to be talking about personal struggles between individuals, but he has other ones as well. But I want you to understand that his book, as all other books in the Bible, really deal with the forgiveness of God. I mean, we could talk about partiality like we did in chapter two. We could talk about the sins of the tongue like we did in chapter three. But all of those end result in that God wanting us to forgive people, not let these passions dwell up inside us in such a way that causes us a problem. Let me ask you this question. What's putting you in a bad mood? Now, it's a rhetorical question. I want you to answer out loud. But since we're in counseling together, I want, you to, I want to ask you this question. What is putting you in such a bad mood? And I want you to think of that in terms of what is it within me that's stirring me up about that situation that's causing me to be honestly maybe more a part of the problem than, more the, than a part of the solution? That's the first one. All right, let's move on to the second one. In verse two, we talk about unfilled, unfilled desires between us. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Those passions within us, now they have, they have well, they just won't stay in you long. Hope you've realized that by now. You, you probably have. Um, if, if you're here with your wife, she, she may be nudging you right now, uh, or you may be nudging her because you know that, 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 that fire that gets in us because we feel like something is not right, that doesn't stay there long, and finally it comes out. Usually comes out most inappropriate ways or, or sometimes inappropriate times. And, uh, you know, and you end up getting back home and said, why did you say that in front of those people? You should have said that. You know how that goes. And it, these unfulfilled desires, now it's between us. It's not just a, a personal struggle that we're trying to deal with what's going on in our own heart and mind, but now we've got a problem with, with those around us as well because of that. And, and these actions can be severe. Murder, covet. Let me share a story. I was pastoring at Berean Baptist Church on County Barn Road uh, down off of Davis Boulevard in East Naples for a number of years. I had a friend who was a pastor here in Fort Myers, and we were going to go up to a pastor's conference in the middle of the state. 
So we rode in the car together. We got in the car and we were on our way up I-75 and he began to tell me how of all the problems he was having with his wife. I thought, well, that's not what I thought we were gonna talk about in the car to a, on the way to a pastor's conference. And he, he kept saying, I'm having a problem with this. She's driving me crazy about that. And, all this. and then he said something that absolutely shocked me. He said, frankly, Al, sometimes I wish she was dead. John, oh, wow. wow. Um, I can't believe you said that. It wasn't but a couple of years later we found out that he was having an extramarital affair with another woman at the time that he was complaining about his wife. And that passion within him, by the way, the word passion that's translated here is the word hedonism. So it certainly fit in that situation. But his passion within him was, was coming up and causing unresolved disputes within his marriage, which eventually destroyed it, destroyed his ministry, destroyed his relationship with his adult children, with his grandchildren. Folks, please understand, if you and I do not get a hold of those things that are, that are in turmoil within us, if we allow that root of bitterness to grow up within us, James is telling us here, you, you'll be absolutely shocked at what your allowing of sin to exist in your life, what it will take you to. You'll be shocked by it. So I want to ask you this question. To what extent are you willing to go to get what you want? What extent are you willing to go to get what you want? There's a, I play some computer games online, golf, baseball, car racing. I enjoy some of those things. There is an online game that you can, that you can download. I don't because I don't like those kind of games. It's called Game of Thrones Conquest. Some of you maybe have downloaded that. Maybe some of you play it. But the, from what I understand, the whole, the whole thing is a game is you, you get this individual and you can, you can somehow play or pay to upgrade that individual, make them stronger. You can build your army, one another. You can get like, like dragons flying through the air and big monster guys and all that stuff. And it's all, it's all to build up your empire so that you can attack and defeat this other empire. I thought about that in the context of our counseling session this morning, and I just want to caution you about something. That when you have passions welling up within you that break out in, in arguments uh, of unfulfilled desires between you two people, uh, don't be like that Game of Thrones uh, game and uh, seek to recruit other people to your side to build your army. Uh, don't, uh, don't continue to speak to someone, anyone, until you find someone who agrees with you so they can join your side. Don't do that. Do what Matthew 18 says to do. If a brother offends you, go to them and speak to them one-on-one. -on -one. As your counselor this morning, would you do me a favor? Would you do yourself a favor? If somebody... If you have a problem with somebody, if you're not willing to go and talk to them first, then keep your mouth shut. 
Have any of you ever seen that one counseling thing, uh, thing on, on uh, the internet where, where his answer is always, stop it? I don't know if I can't remember his name of who that is, but it's a funny one that, uh, that you can watch. But it's, it's almost that feeling. If you won't respond the way the Bible tells you to respond by going to that one and talking to them individually first, you would be better off not saying it all. Don't go try and recruit other people to your team. Don't try, try to recruit people to your way of thinking. Don't build your team so that you can, you can become strong and you can defeat their empire. You're supposed to be loving that one. In the years of ministry, I have found that on occasion, this is true. I'm not saying this is true all the time, but I'm saying that this is true some of the time. Let me read it to you from my notes of what happens sometimes when people won't follow Matthew 18. If you have a problem with someone and go, to some, and go to someone else to fix it, instead of the person with whom you are offended, you are not seeking to resolve the issue. You are seeking, God bless you, you are seeking to win. You've already made up your mind that you're right and they're wrong, and you will only pursue the path to your own spiritual victory, not the godly resolution of the problem. Now, if that description fits you, stop. That's not the only reason why somebody will go to someone else instead of going to the person who they're having a problem with. But frankly, it's, a, it's, it's true a lot of the time. They're just trying to build their team. They're just trying to, to upgrade their warriors so that when the battle finally comes, they want to make sure they win instead of godly resolution to the problem. To what extent are you willing to go to get what you want? Third thing James mentions, are we having fun? This is a wonderful counseling session, isn't it? I don't know. You're being awfully quiet today. All right, let's take a look at the third one, verse three. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You ask wrongly to spend unanswered requests asked wrongly. I'll just mention this to you about that. Please understand the purpose of prayer. I find that sometimes when people are in a quarrel, they're in a disagreement, they're in an argument, well, a lot of times I find they don't even pray about it at all. They just, they're just winging it based upon how they feel inside. But there are times when they do pray about it. As James mentions here, that sometimes they do pray about it, but they pray about it wrongly. Here is the purpose of prayer we always need to remember. Asking God is not for the purpose of your will being done in heaven. It is for the purpose of God's will being done on earth. Right? That's the purpose of prayer. So, if you find yourself someday ever in an argument, and you're really struggling with this individual, and you for whatever reason feel like you need to just maybe ask God about this whole problem that you're having with this person, you might want to remember that going to God in prayer is so that 
God's will will resolve this, not your will. Because oftentimes we want it resolved the way we want it resolved and not necessarily the way God wants it resolved. So the statement there I have for you to wrap up that particular point is this. Why would God grant your request to obtain that which would only draw your heart away from him? Well, the way you're asking me that question, the way you want me as, as your God to respond to the situation that you're having with this individual, if I respond in the way that you want me to, it's not going to bring you closer to me. It's actually going to take you further away from me. And it's not going to demonstrate your love for that other person. It will only demonstrate your desire to win over that other person. Why would, I, why would I want to answer a prayer like that? And then the last thing about our, our, our sin uh, problem when it comes to conflict resolution found in verses 4 and 5. Look at those. Verses 4 and 5. Well, this is wonderful, James. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That doesn't sound good. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit he is made to dwell in us? Unwise friendships. Now this whole conflict that you're having with somebody is, is burst out of your own heart and mind and into the conversation of the one you're having a problem with. And so there's unresolved disputes there. And now it's even blown beyond the circle of your friends, blown beyond the circle of the church. And now you're actually talking to unsaved people about this. You can't, you can't help talking about your problem that you've got at home with your coworkers who don't even know Christ as Savior. Why would you go to the world to find a resolution when you have a God when you have a Holy Spirit within you, when you have, Russell mentioned the, uh, last week, the self-help sections in the, in the uh, bookstores, what a bunch of wasted ink on paper. Really, you could just put one book there. That is the best self-help book you'll ever find. Right there. And if you ignore what this says, then there is no other self-help book that you're gonna find it's going to help you get you out of the problems that you're in and resolve the issues of your life. This book does that because it involves God in your life and not friendships with the world. My wife and I have been married. It'll be 52 years this year. She sprays this section between the services, these two sections. You folks are safe. I, I can't speak for you folks. But I can tell you, you're safe. My wife sprays these between services. And uh, we've been married some 52 years. If somebody were to come up to my wife and to engage in conversations or actions with her in a way that would seemingly want to draw her affections away from me, I'm going to have a problem with that. Is, is that clear enough? 
It was so funny because I said that in the eight o'clock service and after between the two services, my wife was praying. One of our other elders <laughs> stopped and was talking to her about halfway down the aisle. And I was standing out here after the service was over and he came up to me and he says, Al, I was only talking to her. <laughs> okay, John Crawford. <laughs> I love John. What a great brother he is. But the point is, well, what I've got you in the notes, it says this. You love that which hates what you say you love. When you make the world your friend, you are loving the world, that world who hates your Savior, and you are, you are loving the one who hates the one who you say you love. Does that make sense at all? That I would love somebody who's trying to draw the affections of my wife away from me? Who's hating me because of his treatment of my wife? I would love him who hates me in the treatment of the one that I love? That's what we do, folks, when we go start spilling our guts to those who don't even know Christ as Savior. James says, oh, it's so silly for us to make ourselves at enmity with God. There's a verse in Hebrews 11 up on the screen. It says this, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he's prepared for them a city. There was a people that the writer of Hebrews is saying is their, their focus was not on this world, was not on friendship with this world, but their focus of their lives was on a better country, a heavenly country where God is preparing for them a city. That was the focus of their life. That's where they were heading. That's what they thought about. That was the priority of their life. And, and God looked at those people and looked at their attitudes and looked at their heart and said, I'll tell you what, I'm not ashamed to be called their God because their thoughts are on me. Their thoughts are on my country. Their thoughts on being with me forever. And I'm preparing a city because of, of, because of that. And of course, the implication on the other side of that coin could possibly be that if you and I are not thinking about that country, if we're not looking as it is a better place and our focus is there and laying up our treasures in heaven. If that's not the way we're living our life, then we could almost say that God might be even embarrassed by us instead of saying that he's not embarrassed. In this counseling session, I want you to understand that we all have problems. We're all going to get in arguments. We're all going to have fights. And, and these are the things that relate to those arguments and fights. And those are the things you need to stop doing. Okay? Very quickly. Because I always spend too much time on this and not enough time on the good stuff. But here we go very quickly. Okay? In verse 6 of this chapter, we have grace is our godly gift. Grace is our godly gift, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Here's what I want you to think about. Okay, we have, we've identified much of the motives and the problems of the conflicts that we face in our life. And now you know better how to identify those things that are not correct in your life so you can correct them. Now, if you want to start steps to doing right, emphasize the grace of God. That person you're having a problem with, do something good for them. Yeah, are you kidding me? You, you, you weren't around in our last argument, were you? <laughs> Start doing. Uh, did God show you his grace when you got up this morning? You know he did. You know you, you, and, you and I, we don't deserve anything from God. Everything we have from God's grace. Why don't you start acting like a child of God and do something gracious to them as a first step? Now, they may not respond all that well to you. And that's where you and I need to get to that next step of verses 7 and 8a where it says, submit ourselves Therefore, to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, I'm not saying you call this part, part, person that you have an argument with the devil. I'm going to submit to God, you go away. No, I'm not saying that. But we are to submit ourselves to God and resist the devil and he will flee. Show somebody some grace. And as you do that, as they respond, however they may respond, you, may, you need to respond with submission to God. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember that one? The son took the money, his, his inheritance, he blew it all in a bunch of stuff, ended up in a pig pen, said, my servants are, are better off my father's house than I am. I'm going back. And he goes back to the father, and he is carrying this weight of sin on his shoulders, He's, he says, when I get back there, all I'm going to do is tell my father I'm worthless. I just don't me be one of your servants. He's carrying this huge weight of sin. It's a basically he's going back to the father and saying, forgive me. That's what he's, what he's intending to do. And he finds his father with open arms, hugs him, and he, and he kills the fatted calf. And, and you know the rest of the story. Here's truth of that story that you need to remember when you show somebody grace and they respond with, you know what, you're right, I, I, I'm sorry. You could be like the older brother, just still get bent out of shape over the whole thing. Or you could can think the same way the father thought in that prodigal story, and that was this. Your past sins are not as important as your current heart condition. If you want to resolve a conflict with somebody, be gracious to them. Submit to God. And you will need to submit to God. Because it's not easy to have an argument, ongoing argument with somebody, and, and then you decide, all right, I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to be gracious to them. And then they come back and they say, well, you're right. I'm sorry. We're going, to want to, we're going to want to say, yeah, you bet you're sorry. It's their current condition of heart that's more important than what they've done in the past. 
That's the whole point of the prodigal son is forgiveness by the father and how we need to implement that in our lives. The word submit's an interesting word. It means to uh, get into your proper rank. It's actually a military word. And what it's actually saying here is this. How much trouble can you get in when a buck private starts acting like they're the general? That would mess up the whole system in the army. And that's what he's saying here. Will you quit trying to act like you're God and let God be God and you submit to God? You'll find that things will start getting better instead of getting worse if you act like God and be gracious. And if you submit to God and, and be forgiving, it'll go a whole lot better for you. If you'll consider their present state of heart instead of their past list of sins, it'll go a whole lot better for you. There is a wisdom, a relationship which can only be tamed, obtained by our being on our face before God. The next step, not only to be gracious, show graciousness, submit to God, make him your partner in this resolution of this conflict, but also demonstrate some sanctification in your life in verse eight and B, it says that we are to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts, you double-minded people. God grant that our hands would be useful in his work and pray that our hearts would be sincerely set upon him and love other people through his heart and not my desperately wicked heart that I might demonstrate the love of God to someone who, who so greatly needs it because if, if we weren't in this argument, they wouldn't need the love of God. But because the fact that we're, very fact that we're in this argument demonstrates that both of us need the love of God being demonstrated in our lives, and we've, and we've made that evident by our arguments. And then we need to be broken, which is our right relationship in verses 9 and 10. Weep, wail, let your laughter be turned to mourning. I, I, I'm convinced that I have forgotten what true biblical repentance looks like. And if, and if I've forgotten it, then I, I suspect there's been a lot of other people who have forgotten it as well. Because I want to admit my sin by saying something like, well, you know what, I, that was stupid, I'm sorry. Did I get out of it? <laughs> and my wife would say, not yet. <laughs> okay, well, I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know what James is saying in these verses 9 and 10? He's saying that when you and I repent of our sin, it says, if in our own attitudes we, we are saying from our heart, what have I done? I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I was so stupid to do that. I am broken. And I need to be forgiven. I am so sorry. You see, that's what James is saying in these verses. Brokenness is our path back to a right relationship with our God. Certainly, if we need to be saved, 
We need to understand that his love for us took Christ to the cross. And our life has been lived in such a way to make such a, a thing about the cross that it just, I just didn't understand how much you loved me and I'm so sorry. But it's how we need to respond. If you and I want to get things right, show the grace of God. Make God your partner in this by submitting to him. Sanctify yourself. Clean yourself up as best you can in your, with, your, with, with the things you do and the, and the, and the, the thoughts and, and feelings and emotions of your heart. Peter Davids, one of the writers of a commenta uh, commentary on James that I, I read in preparing this, he said this, let the smile drain from your lips and the food grow cold on the table as with tears and fasting you prostrate yourself before the Lord. That's how we confess our sins. That's how we repent of our sins. 2 Corinthians 10.5, a verse they put up on the screen for you. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's every thought in our mind, whether thought of revenge, thought of how I'm going to win, thought of how I'm going to get back at them. I need to bring, take that thought and I need to make it captive for Christ. And I might respond with the love of Jesus. And then be careful because in verses 11 and 12, James goes on to say, be careful even after you've done all that, you're going to be tempted to judge other people. And you don't want to do that. Don't judge other people by setting up a standard that you know they can't meet. We do that, don't we? Well, you know, if you hadn't done this, you hadn't, I would never do what you do or did. You know what you're doing when you say that? You're saying is that I live my life at, at, a, at a high level standard of which you obviously can't meet. Well, that's a wonderful way to resolve a conflict. Just judge them by a, based upon a standard you tell them they can't even meet. I would never do that. Quit setting yourself up above the law or, or, or changing the law in such a way that you can apply it to make you win. That's not the way of Christ. So have you got it? You got homework to do right now for this week before the counseling session next Sunday morning? So I want you to work on it, okay, this week. Go back over the things of, uh, that where you identify the things in your life that, that are not pleasing to God and some steps on how to correct those things. And, uh, and wouldn't it be wonderful when we got together next week for a counseling session, you, you had stories of how God wonderfully worked in your life because you listen to the Word of God. That would be awesome.